Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's Balanced on a Shelf. I know a thing or two about shelves. Yeah? What do you know about it? Oh, I do see them. Yeah. Built to myself. Balanced them and everything. Well, they look real good. They got a lot of books on them. Nothing like a good level and a good stud finder. Speaking of stud finders, you found a couple over here this week on As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. This stud's name is Timothy Turkles. Crisp. And, <laughs> and uh, God, you're like right, you're in studs land right over there yeah. at, at a division in Ashland. Sure am. In Chicago illinois his name is david anthony this is our podcast it's called as you were a podcast about alkaline trio every week we talk about one alkaline trio song this week we talked about one that was chosen by our patreon patreon.com slash as you were for the last time uh, a song chosen by our patreon fam because we do not have many left we do not have enough left to reach another poll uh so thank you thank you uh all the homies over there because it's been a long fun journey and you stuck with us and you've uh you've helped shape the thing and that's cool it is uh, cool so this one goes out to them and the, secondarily the rest of you listening but m- mostly them oh f- f- fourth and darily mm, yes. not not even second or third you're not even on that podium you bums you listen and you don't subscribe oh on our Patreon, patreon.com slash as you were. Perfect time to sign up right now where you where you won't be able to take advantage of one of the many benefits that we have over there. Oh my god. When I posted this poll, David, I I didn't say nothing about it being the last one because I was positive that I was misremembering. Or that you mm. got it wrong because you you have a way of like messing up these like polls and songs that we talk about. Uh huh. You know, you have a storied history with I don't know. I I have all my notes for all the fucking things that you messed up on this thing in my steamer trunk over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a that's a wink sound effect for uh, all of you amateur podcast producers out there trying to figure out how does he do it yeah got, that is how he does son. it he winks at the microphone it's a very effective technique <laughs> you wink and then you also exhale in a sort of like ah, ah, like like tony soprano breath but a little bit more throaty is what we're mm, looking for yes yes that's what i describe you as um so this song balanced on a shelf is this isn't on my shame is true, is it? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on when you came to the record, and if you uh, just listen to everything on Spotify, yes, it's probably on the record. Though, uh, canonically, um, it is not. It is on the Broken Wing EP, which was a simultaneous release with the album My Shame is True. Uh, and, you know, over on that Patreon, we did a big My Shame is True, uh, kind of resequence, bringing in some of these songs and, and condensing it. And, you know, I, I think that was a pretty fun exercise. And this is a song that I think both you and I were, uh, uh, pretty stoked on and, and talked about, I think, a fair bit when we 
did that. Yeah, it appeared on both of our resequencings over at patreon.com slash as you were. Um, this song is fucking cool. And I think it that is. that's the reason why it appeared on both of our resequencings is that it's got a vibe and it's also a song that has a really, really wild progression that mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that there's another one that's in this band's catalog that you could really pinpoint and say, oh, yeah, that's just another one of this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an outlier for sure. And it's, you know, I mean, I've bemoaned the fact a million times, but like, these kind of like deep cuts and b-sides i feel like get uh especially from that era of time i would say like the late 2000s early to mid 2010s like i do think they really get lost because now like if a band just put this out like i I think people just since everything's streaming they just view it all as like oh like four new songs or a new song or whatever and, and don't really you know it's so much more accessible where this like you a like had to be interested in them enough to buy the new record and buy an accompanying EP with like, without having heard anything, you know, it's, it was kind of a bigger ask, but I think, you know, a lot of the songs on that EP are really good. And this one is such an outlier because yeah, like it sounds like alkaline trio, I would say, but I also, there's a lot of things happening that I think are very unique to this song. I don't hear them in, the releases prior and I don't really hear them in the stuff after. And and especially, um, you know, I feel like Dan's songwriting in in the material after like on, is this thing cursed? The most recent EP, it all feels very like, I don't know. Uh, it it feels a little more traditional to me in terms Mm -hmm. of how uh, like traditional singer songwriter stuff that is then adapted to a band and this one. And, and I would say, his other songs on this EP and some on my shame is true really feel like he's, he's writing for the band in a way that, um, he's kind of not been since. Uh, and I think that gives this song a really interesting vibe. And I think all of the kind of playing and decisions made both with Matt and Derek are pretty, uh, I don't want to say atypical, but like a little left to center for them. He's writing for the band, but also is he? Because there are so many parts in this song, you gotta think that the band are like, hey, what? what is this? Why do we got so many parts in this song? Think about that. Because might, that might be the opposite of writing for the band. Because they might be like, "What's the, we, gotta, we gotta do so much homework for remembering how this song goes, Dan. Because, I mean, you look at this thing, just in the chorus alone, there's like three distinctly different sections Mm -hmm. of the chorus yeah and i think you know i think that's an interesting thing because to me this uh, listing the music that i feel is a little more uh part dense Mm -hmm. to me this doesn't read that way Ah. you know because i you know listen to a lot of bands where it's like every 10 seconds it's changing to a different part well look at you yeah uh where it's like you put on a Morbid Angel record and it's like, oh, they're playing this part and then they play it in reverse and then they go to a new part. And then it's just like, to me, I think this is interesting because to me, I think that's part of why it feel part of why it feels so rich is because I like stuff that is not just coasting and this song doesn't really coast at any point. I think it's like constantly mm-hmm. shifting. And, and to your point with the chorus, it's, it's shifting tempo a lot. 
And, yeah. you know, I do feel like that's somewhat reminiscent of maybe a goddamn it era track where like mm-hmm. when I think of something like nose over Taylor cringe, like there are, there is a kind of a push and pull happening, even though in terms of like, I would say like structural writing, you know, the, the guitar parts are, are pretty straightforward, but the rhythmic sensibility shifts pretty dramatically. And I sure. think, I think it is a bold choice because to your point, um, the guitar player for the band we're talking about is not known to remember their songs in a live setting particularly well. They've never played this song. And no, yeah, no it's not happening. No chance. Um, and it is funny to me just because it's like, that is the one thing that really jumps out to me is I feel so much of Matt's performance is great but is something that could only be done in the studio because, you know, he's, he's not one to really even remember lyrics, which often repeat, uh, yeah. Let alone guitar parts, which is like, you know, I know when they did the past live shows, people were kind of ragging on him for having a teleprompter, but also he's playing 113 fucking songs. Like, you know, Um. (laughs) I can't be that mad about it. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, the comparison i on my mind right now uh get like, it off your we're, mind we're all thinking of mark hoppus right now yes i just want to say that that's like what ju- jumped into my mind while you were talking endlessly was like jesus christ that's scary stuff uh we're thinking of you mark huge bummer uh very nice dude and hope he pulls through uh i'm i'm optimistic he's young and healthy have you well it doesn't appear that he's totally healthy uh he can be uh, healthy in more ways than one he seems mentally healthy he seems uh spiritually healthy have you met mark hoppus nope never have you said he was nice uh those by all accounts i've ever heard is that Uh he's a very nice man i feel like i've met him I watched his episode of MTV Cribs. Felt like I got to know him pretty well. Yeah, he uh, collected all those hotel keys. <laughs> oh, yeah. He used that, too. Yeah. Um, okay. What's what's funny about thinking about this song in comparison to, to God Damn It is that even though those songs do have a lot of like tempo changes, there's still probably like maximum six chords in mm-hmm. a song on God Damn It. And in here, there's like you know, six chords on certain lines of this song. Mm-hmm. There, the, the idea of like, yeah, Matt having to figure out like, oh, oh shit, here's a part where I play like a seventh chord and then uh, a minor. And uh, yeah, that's just the, the end of the last line going into this next part, which also has a lot of chords. Um, This song is like, really fun though i think yes like the tempo changes like really are so fun and so i don't know like really the song was seriously workshopped and turned into something that moves like in so many different directions and i think it's like also the like closest thing that we have to like linear songwriting for them even though they do Mm -hmm. repeat the verse and the chorus really that's like if you want to like 
deduce it to two things. It's just a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus. But within those sections, there are so many subsections. And each one, like, really just, like, blends super well. There's never a, like, shift that feels jarred or, like without purpose even though some of those shifts are like pretty distinctive yeah i mean it's definitely a song that for them and i think especially like in the kind of greater punk style like it is doing a lot and i think that stuff that really kind of compels me is that like it's not really just being like okay good enough like let's just do this for four and then move on because i think I think that can be really limiting. And I mm-hmm. think, yeah, it's requiring more of the band, but I think the result is, like we've said, a song that, like, doesn't really have a direct comparison. You know, it's it's really trying to push, I think, their sound in a way that, yeah, this probably wouldn't be a big radio song. Not that that's really a thing at that point in time. It's kind of the last vestiges of that. Mm-hmm. And it's also not traditionally like, and I'm speaking broadly here, that like, I don't know how much like people are like, yeah, I like punk rock are going to resonate with. Um, because it is, it's if it's doing the thing you like, it's doing it for such a short spell within mm-hmm. it. And then kind of dancing onto something else. And even in our resequencing, I was like, oh, this song has to be on my version of My Shame is True, uh, which I called My Shame is Two, obviously. Uh, and I think it's just because like, to me, it feels like one of those things where it's like, it doesn't actually really fit tonally with the rest of the record. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it's such a cool, like, to me, like, yeah, throw this on the back half of the record and it kind of is like a little wink of like, Hey, here's maybe where we might be heading, which is a thing I kind of always appreciate when bands like make the last song or the last couple songs, they're like, Here's a, you know, it's like the preview of what's coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't obviously where they, I think they went, but I think there are moments maybe to double back on myself. Like there are moments on, is this thing cursed where I think they're kind of recalling that at least impulse a little bit, maybe not as dense as this, but there are songs that I think uh, on that album that, that do shift up a fair bit musically um, almost from measure to measure. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, they they don't coast on the best moments of is this thing cursed? And I think if you're like going to compare the two, that would probably be the the piece that like uh, in the Venn diagram crosses over is that there's not a moment where they settle into this is good until the end of the bar even. Mm-hmm. Um. How do you feel about the intro? Like, I, listening to this, like, for the first time, it obviously wasn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't get to have that experience since we did do the, mm-hmm. uh, is this thing, or the My Shame is True resequencing, so I was familiar with this song, but I do recall hearing it for the first time not too long ago and thinking, damn yeah i'm i'm into this i'm into all these effects well it's almost like a weird like alkaline trio u2 moment you know um Mm -hmm. you're getting that kind of like slapback delay reverb shit going on and 
I think initially, and I, I hear that and I'm like, oh, I hope they aren't going into some spooky shit. Because uh, I think that sounds a little spooky. Yeah. And it's it's the part of the song that I feel like almost feels most disconnected from the rest of it. But I actually think it's a nice bit of table setting. Like, I think there is... Sometimes when you're doing something really different, especially, like, in a song in a band that had so many albums prior to this, right? You kind of have to do a little of that, like, <clears throat> like throat clearing to get people, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're, we're going to try something here. And I, I think it's actually, like kind of effective and i think the way that derek comes into it is really nice and kind of clever because it's not super heavy-handed it, it, it's got a real uh you know if this was lee carvalho's putting challenge it would be choosing feather touch uh and, and that is what i think so much of this song really succeeds at <laughs> you've selected driver is that what he says? Power Fuck. drive. Oh my god. One of As I grow older, the thing that I come to really like deeply appreciate about the Simpsons is how kind Marge is to Bart always. Mm-hmm. She's always like the one who understands him. And that episode is a particularly great Marge and Bart episode. And that gift of Lee Carvalho. I can't even remember the guy's name, even though you just said it to me. So the fact that you were able to pull that one out. Very impressive, David. Very impressive. You know, much like this song, I need to be shifting direction about every 90 seconds uh, in terms of podcasting time. This is a song that um, when... When Dan starts singing, you're really thankful that it's Dan with all yes. of that stuff at the beginning. Like, this in the hands of Matt is probably just the a really lethargic song vocally. And I think that Dan really utilizes the intro and, like, just the whole tone of the song to his advantage because i think that this song lyrically is really really something like Mm -hmm. using that balanced on the shelf metaphor throughout the song he i think he positions this one to like really carry a lot of emotional weight yeah i mean i think it's it's just a really you can tell that there's something inspiring it and i think in some of the late era dance songs that we've talked about over the past few months, I think the best ones are the ones where he kind of hones it on the metaphor and then really drives it home, really sticks with it. I think In My Stomach, great example. I think mm-hmm. uh, the song we talked about last week, Those Lungs, though, it does have second verse issues. I think overall he does a pretty good job with it. And I think this is another example of him just like really using i think imagery to, to to speak for what he's trying to express i mean the song title i will say is not necessarily like i don't know the most compelling image i've ever seen mm-hmm. uh but he really minds it for all it's worth and i think there's a certain part of dan that i think is really strong when he's kind of hitting on minutia and, and hitting on these smaller things and kind of blowing them out to be big and i think one of my 
complaints has sometimes been, especially on like this thing cursed, um, and, and even a little bit on Seamus True, is when he's going big with like the crowd pleaser stuff, I think he kind of it feels a little I don't wanna say it feels like a weaker version of what he's capable of. And I it's nice to see him just really kind of go all in with a track like this because mm-hmm. you can tell he was he was really putting the work into it. And I think to your point about like it's great to hear him sing it, is just like I think his performance on this song is awesome. Um, so good. To so a degree good. that like not not to shit on Matt here, but like I also think if Matt wrote this song that kind of effect heavy stuff would be really present throughout it. Like the first verse is going to feel a little more lethargic because I Mm -hmm. think he wants to stick in that vibe a little longer. Whereas Dan's just like moving through vibes every couple measures. Yeah. And I think that the title um, on its own is to your point, not very compelling, but the like, continuation of it as it appears in the song with being placed out in the sun just that additive to it i think brings out a lot more Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really cool effect um and i love just for like all of the changes that happen um all the different chords all the different tempo changes that chorus of just him repeating where did Mm -hmm. it go wrong from a, a, a few different angles is really, really effective. Well, it's it's almost a song that, to me, if I, if I may uh, just throw out a theory, I, I think it's a song that almost sounds like lyrics were written and then he wrote a song to kind of fit what he had down, right? Mm-hmm. And I know there are some songwriters who do that. I know uh, Lord Jane Grace is an example of saying, like, that's an approach they tend to use because... There are only only so many chords and progressions, and if you write to the lyrics and then try to fit stuff around it, I think that's how you get a lot more of those kind of linear parts coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I actually think is 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 kind of it's difficult to do, and it's difficult to do well. But I think that where did you go wrong? The way that builds, I think, is super effective and super mm-hmm. in keeping with what he's getting at, and the way it shifts into that. And first of all, worst of all, part is so nice because it's. It's really kind of showing to me uh, that kind of like building of anxiety, that building of nervousness, and then the kind of dissociative thoughts that follow. Yeah. And I think it's just a really great example of, you know, the lyrics really matching what the music is doing, which is something I'm a a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I... I'm always more compelled by something where like you're saying it, but you're also making me feel it musically. Uh, and and when you can achieve that kind of, you know, synergy, I think it's really commendable. Um, especially in a song that like, again, it has a lot of parts. And when you're writing a lot of parts, there is the chance that maybe one of them is not going to hit. And I, I don't really feel like the song has a moment to me where that energy drops. Totally. And I think, we should probably like give credit or at least put out the idea that credit should go to Bill Stevenson on this too, because this seems like one that probably had a lot of, you gotta, you gotta shake things up here. You gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta, um, and that's like, you know, for all that we 
I feel like we always come to this point with with Bill Stevenson where if something's working, we're just like, Bill, what the fuck? But in this case, we're, I think, singing praises. Well, and, and, you know, not just this song, but I think he really kind of excelled, I think, on the songs on Broken Wing, which are a little more um, left of center. They are, mm-hmm. It is kind of the repository for some of, like, the otter choices, like uh, Pocket Knife, for example, has a lot of weird effects and a lot of interesting pacing. And I don't, that's probably my least favorite song on that EP, though I don't think it Me is too. bad. Yeah. Um, but it is that kind of push. And and I've, I've it's funny, I've been over the past I've, few weeks reading a little bit about, like, um, Band's experiences working with him, and it does sound like he is someone who is kind of a proponent for like, yeah, if you're just doing it four times, why are you doing it? Like, mm-hmm. I think, and and you can see that in his songwriting, like historically, you know, he's been yeah. someone to kind of, I think, shift stuff up, but never make it feel really alien or feel really like, oh, they're just throwing in something to kind of like shake this song up. I, I think he's very good at hitting that purpose but he's also someone with who like loves pop songwriting and i think those two things make him a very interesting producer but i even think just tonally this song really succeeds in a way that certain songs on the album don't like it's Mm -hmm. everything that's there layer wise effect wise really feels like it needs to be um and I can just picture him in the the studio getting really stoked on a song like this, especially Dan's performance as he's singing this thing. Yeah, totally. And this song has a lot of excitement in it, um, a lot of energy, and it's really like of the things that have impressed me by the alkaline trio this one is near the top of the list there's like songs that are in my bones but Mm -hmm. there there aren't as many that just make me sit back and say like wow yeah yeah this is this is definitely one of them for me where it's just like i think dissecting it too and kind of like talking about it and breaking it apart it really shows i think just how much work goes into it and I think, you know, they are at their best when I think they're in a room working on stuff together and and pushing it like this. Because I think that naturally comes out of them. I think the worst version Mm -hmm. of Alkaline Trio is the one where it's like, we have the demo pretty locked in, now we're just going to record it as a band. Mm -hmm. I think those songs, to me, usually feel the least successful. But I feel like one like this, you can see that this was not, this was not gridded in, you know, fucking garage band to a, a drum beat. Like, there was a lot of... A lot of work and I think a lot of stakes from all members and all parties involved in making this record uh, to make something like this happen because it doesn't that's not going to happen by accident. You know, everyone's kind of got to be committed for this to actually manifest. And, you know, for a band that was that deep into their career at that point, pretty impressive. What do you rate it? This one gets a big four and a half out of me. I'm going to give it a four. I... I think that I lean towards four and a half as well, but there's also a little part of me that's like trying to keep relativity in mind. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're very studious with this song. Um, Would it be something that is easier to just kind of like glide past you if you're listening to it in a little bit less of a, 
honed in sense? I mean, I do think there is a level because I was I was between four and four and a half. But I think I think the thing that I feel is obviously this is not part of their canon. This mm-hmm. is not like a song that I think has kind of risen to the ranks of like beloved fan favorite. But I also think the way that, you know, we have to build that canon is by advocating for it. You know, mm-hmm. you got to be the ones to champion the successes that are maybe lost to time. And I want to be the one who's who's blazing that trail and saying that balanced on a shelf, that's that's a song that Alkaline Trio fans need to go back to. And if they've not dissected it, it's worth your time. I will agree with that. Um I think the I think the buck stops that they're never gonna play it live. <laughs> true, true. But I mean there are tons of great songs that they haven't played live in 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that lesson I don't think that lessens the impact of a continental. I don't think that lessens the impact of a four year longs only. I don't think that listen, lessens the impact know. of a message yeah, from Kathleen. Yeah, look at this look at this guy standing on the corner over here. Oh, outside the Old Navy. That's the Algren Fountain over mm-hmm. there. Ashland in Milwaukee. Hey, this is our podcast. As you are a podcast about Alkaline Trio every week. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about one Alkaline Trio song. This week we balanced on a shelf. My name is Tim. His name is David. He's my friend, and that's why we do this podcast so that we can hang out with each other once God a week. Right. Uh, and we invite you to come back next week. Tell a friend about the show. Subscribe on your podcast player of choice. We got that Patreon, patreon.com slash as you were. It's a good back catalog of stuff for you to enjoy if you've been enjoying the program for the past 159 weeks or what the fuck ever we've been doing. A lot lot of episodes. This band had more songs than I realized. You can go and look at the old polls and be like, wow, look at that poll. And uh, yeah, either way, we will be back next week. We look forward to it and we will see you then. Thank you, friends.